You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for December 11, 2022, the third Sunday of Advent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. Welcome again, and welcome to those who are streaming with us this morning. Let's take a few minutes and let's enter in to the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a man of the desert, and in biblical terms, the desert is most often referred to as the wilderness. But it's not wilderness as Western people might think of wilderness. There's no forest, there's no pine trees. The biblical wilderness is brown, hardened desert rock with a very grainy, sandy soil. It, this is not soil that looks like the beach. This is a hardened soil that you don't want to lie down on. Uh, and if there is any vegetation at all, it is low and it is scruffy and it is prickly. So as you know, the first chapter of Luke's Gospel uh, is dedicated greatly to John the Baptist. And we hear about uh, the Annunciation of John. It comes to his father, Zechariah, in the temple. We hear about John in utero at the visitation where Mary shows up and John kicks uh, against the wall of his mother. And uh, John is born in the first chapter and then John is named eight days later in the first chapter. There's 80 verses in the first chapter of Luke and the, the last chapter says this about John the Baptist. The child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. We know that John's parents were old. Uh, John makes that point to the angel Gabriel who then silences him and says he can't talk. Uh, scholars give a lot of thought to John the Baptist. He takes up a large portion of the, the brain of the New Testament uh, of the Gospels and scholars posit that after John's parents died that John became an Essene and joined the Essene community at Qumran which is on the west side of the Dead Sea. This is the place of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in some of these caves that are built into the rock that rises up out of the Dead Sea. And the Essenes were a sectarian group of a Jewish uh, Hebrew sectarian group who uh, lived in community. They followed a very, very strict ascetical path and they uh, were in preparation for the end of time, for the apocalypse at the end of time. So John, for his whole life, embodied desert spirituality. He chose what is known in spiritual theology as the apophatic way, the, the via negativa, the way of denial. John was constantly uh, in that mindset. He was an ascetic. Uh, there's nothing comfortable about this guy. There's nothing comfortable about him. I mean, I mean here you Jesus say, would you go out to the desert to see a guy in silk robes? No. Right? Did you see a, a, something blowing in the breeze? No. I mean, he was a hard and prickly man. I mean, he ate bugs and wild honey for dinner. Uh, and I don't think he was probably the nicest guy to hang out with, right? So these, the religious of Jerusalem come and he calls him a brood of vipers. It's one of the great insults of all time, right? A, a pack, you pack of snakes. 
So what do we know about John? John baptized in what John's gospel, John the Baptist baptized, what John's gospel refers to as uh, Bethany beyond the Jordan. And so all geography in the New Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, has to do with Jerusalem. That everything is from Jerusalem. So beyond the Jordan means it's on the other side of the Jordan, away, which today we would say on the Jordanian side. And he baptized uh, in a spot that is now a World Heritage Site. It's about 10 miles north of the Dead Sea. And we know that John had many disciples, he had many followers. Uh, we hear in other scriptures that uh, the people of Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding country came out to him. And as, of course, we know that Jesus is one of those. This is a story that we will talk about at the Epiphany. There's much in the scripture about what John has to say about Jesus, but I just want to read you this one passage. It comes from John's Gospel. John gives this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So now, today, we, we catch John in prison. And John is in, in, in Macrias. And Macrias is, uh, the ruins of which are still here, Macrias is uh, a hilltop, was a hilltop fortress that uh, Herod's father, Herod, so-called Herod the Great, had rebuilt. It's a fortress, and inside the fortress there's a palace, and below the palace there are dungeons. The fortress itself is incredibly imposing. To go to the ruins today is imposing. See these ominous cliffs that drop off, and it's on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, and it is super wilderness territory. Qumran is where John probably lived, is over there. Qumran is a place where John probably learned about baptizing. And he baptized, you know, 10 miles up the river. Now this is the place of that uh, lascivious party where Salome, his dancing daughter-in-law, so delighted a drunken Herod and all of his friends that he promised them, he promised her anything and of course, she became her mother's mouthpiece, remember? Herodias, who was his brother's wife, uh, uh, said to her daughter, Salome, uh, go tell Herod that you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so it is here that John the head, John was beheaded and his head was delivered on a platter. But right now, we're in the dungeon. We're in the prison with John and Josephus, who is a uh, historian of antiquity, ancient historian, not, I mean, lived in this time, said that John spent two years in this prison, in this dungeon. Uh, today, that palace fortress is gone, but the holes in the masonry uh, to which the prisoners were chained, those holes are still there and undoubtedly cry out to John's dark dungeon experience. 
So we hear, we just heard in the scripture that Father Justin just read is that John, that Jesus says John is a prophet and more than a prophet. And of course we know that a biblical prophet speaks God's word. It's not about predicting the future, it speaks God's word. And we heard last week uh, in the scriptures that were quoted about John, uh, that John is the new Moses. So he leads the, the Hebrew people on an exodus and to the Jordan River. We know that uh, John is the messenger who was sent to prepare. So this is in Isaiah, he's fulfilling Isaiah. He's a highway builder, he fulfills Malachi. He dresses in the clothes and is in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And now we hear Jesus say, he is the greatest of the Old Testament, the greatest. Uh, and that John is the final prophet and that uh, the last prophet was Malachi in 430 BC. And Jesus says he's the greatest because he is the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. And so I quote you again, John's comment, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. But now today we turn around and hear John asking Jesus through his disciples, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? So all that buildup about who John is doesn't jive with that one sentence, right? I mean, we are so used to doubting Thomas, who was really Thomas the twin and an incredible disciple, unfortunately gets tagged with doubting Thomas. And John the Baptist never gets tagged with doubting John the Baptist, though he is too. Perhaps we would call him questioning John the Baptist. That sentence in scripture says this, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? As you know, if you watch the podcast, that uh, Justin, Elizabeth, and I are constantly wanting to rewrite the scriptures and redo the lectionary. Uh, and I think if we could redo the scriptures, the first sentence would say, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was not doing. So uh, it's very possible to draw from the scripture that John, that Jesus is not meeting John's expectations. It's just as simple as that. Really? That's what you're going to be like? Like he, you know, he had said, uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Right? I mean, wah! John was a man of power. And Jesus comes along and he's like gentle Jesus. He's laying his hands on people, making mud and putting it in their eyes. He's healing people. And perhaps for John's op, you know, apocalyptic fervor, he just didn't see it. Jesus is way too gentle. Or perhaps John is having a period of spiritual desolation for all of us, all of us. Our spiritual lives oscillate in a pendulum swing between you know, states of pleasure and states of pain, of what is known as a consolation and then what is known as desolation and feeling close to God in amazing grace and feeling distant from God and, and feeling a kind of faithful fervor and also having dubious doubts. It just, 
this pendulum just moves back and forth as we move through our lives. There's no stopping the pendulum swing. 50% of Americans say that they have had a mountaintop experience. And a mountaintop experience is a mystical experience in which you as an individual feel in complete communion with God and with all people and with all creation. And yet there is no doubt that more than 50% of Americans uh, dwell in the dungeons of doubt. We have these illustrious illuminations, but we also have these quagmires of questions. Jesus, in John's Gospel, quotes the Hebrew Scriptures, out of a believer's heart shall flow streams of living water. But we also know that out of that believer's heart flow this desert dryness, what in the spiritual life is known as spiritual aridity. We also know, this is on the crest of Columbia University, in thy light we shall see light. This comes from Psalm 34. That is, that is the definition of illumination. And we also know that in the mystical life, this illumination is followed by the great negation, which is known as the dark night of the soul, which swallows up everything. It's like a spiritual black hole, swallows faith whole. So perhaps John, in the dungeon, in the darkness, in the chains, is not only physically bound in despair, but is also in spiritual despair. And that in his fire, he, this is mixing metaphors, was like a powerful wave of spiritual energy going out, but now that wave has ebbed and receded and left him in the dark night. So what about us? We all doubt, we all question, and even John the Baptist questions, right? And if he does that with all that I just said, you know, why can't we? And so I would say the first thing is, is you can befriend your, your doubt or your questioning. It's just perfectly normal. All human beings have it. We move in this oscillation of faith and doubt, of, of knowing and unknowing, and it's not possible for it not to be. It's unavoidable as long as we are in our human bodies. I remember, uh, I can't remember if it was last summer or the summer before something, I said to my spiritual director, I don't, I, I don't believe any of it. I just simply, I, it just can't be, man. I, I, don't, I don't believe any of it. And I, I, I talked to her sometime about how I didn't believe anything. I didn't believe it anything. Any, and, and he, at the end of it, he said, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. You're okay, you're just in a period of desolation. You'll be fine, just keep going. And he, he was so nonplussed by it, I was like, ah, okay, forget it. I'm not even gonna worry about not doubt, about doubting, right? So the human psyche cannot live in perfect communion with the divine psyche. That's exactly what's happening. So that, uh, you remember that passage from Isaiah where, where God says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. For the heavens are higher than the earth and so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So these, this human psyche, as we, we seek union and communion with the divine psyche, is, is like, it's like wave theory. We, we energetically move toward the divine and, and then our energy crests and crashes and we receive and we ebb and we move forward and we receive and we ebb and we move forward. And this motion is just simply built in to the divine human relationship. So the first thing is don't panic. 
The second thing is WWJD. Now, and here I don't mean what would Jesus do, I mean what would John the Baptist do? When John had questions, he went right to Jesus. And when we have questions, we should go right to Jesus. We should do exactly the same. Jesus can handle this. Note in the, in the scriptures today how compassionate Jesus is with John. He doesn't say, oh, that dunderhead. He answers John in a way that he believes John will understand. And then he praises John. So the third thing is WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do as Jesus did, and what did Jesus do? Jesus went to the scriptures. And so uh, uh, John answers, John asks a yes or no question. Are you the one? Jesus never answers any question in a straight line as far as I can tell. Very, very difficult guy to cross-examine. Uh, and he doesn't say yes or no. He answers by referring to the scriptures. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. When I first heard that a long time ago, I always thought Jesus was kind of bragging. But Jesus is not bragging. Jesus is, is quoting the scriptures about prophecy that the Messiah will do this. Jesus is giving John evidence that John can go, okay, He's the guy. So not taking Jesus' word, he's looking at the evidence. And I would suggest if you're having a very hard time with evidence for who is Jesus, simply don't worry about it and read the Gospels. Perhaps you might want to start with John's Gospel and just read the Gospels. And now, if you're in a period of drought and despair and questioning and all that, uh, and like, well, you're, you don't even know what you're doing in church here today or why you're streaming, why you're cleaning the kitchen or whatever. I would just simply say it's Advent. And in Advent, we're always waiting for something that isn't fully, fully uh, brought bare to us. But take, you know, it, it's coming. It's in two weeks. Uh, and WWSD, what would the shepherds do? Well, I would suggest you do what the shepherds do and you go to the manger because there is something about the divine vulnerability in that child that simply melts the doubting. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmartsnewcanaan.org.